Welcome to the Humane Roundup Podcast, where we share all the exciting stories about animal cruelty investigations, dangerous animals, and amazing rescues. Find out what goes on inside of animal shelters and all the current trends in the animal welfare industry. Now, here is your host, Daniel Edinger. You know, the opening talks about amazing rescues, and we really haven't shared any. And I want to share with you one. How's it going, Bishop? It's frigid here. <laughs> well, then it's only just cold here, because if it's frigid there, negative eight here obviously isn't as cold as you're dealing with. No, not with a negative 30 wind chill. Yikes. It was so flipping busy for us yesterday. Uh, I don't know. Did you work yesterday? I haven't worked since Tuesday. <laughs> Lucky you. It, yes, it I know, because I'm going to go back to a busy stuff. Yeah, uh, welfare check after welfare check. And what's that threshold? You know, dogs outside in the cold. I mean, that's that was probably 80% of the calls yesterday. And and then you have to, like, take into account all the different factors. What kind of animal is it? How long has it been outside? Are people calling as soon as someone lets the dog out to go to the bathroom? Yep. We have one that I have gotten summertime and now again a beautiful husky that has a heated water dish has an igloo shelter she's actually not leaving it out in these extreme temperatures but people still can't continue to call it in when it's outside in the cold i'm like do you understand that she probably can't even get the dog to come in because it doesn't want to because it likes the cold <laughs> well let's talk about that and more on episode 68 of the Humane Roundup podcast. Thanks for joining us today or whenever you're listening. We really appreciate all of our listeners and look forward to some of your feedback. So as always, check out our website, thehumaneroundup.com, or excuse me, humaneroundup.com, no V. Check out H.O. Bishop on Instagram and Facebook. Check out Humane Roundup on Instagram and Facebook. There is a private Humane Roundup group that you can join on Facebook. And you can find me as Animal Protection Officer Daniel on Instagram and Facebook. So we got some interesting stuff on tap. The last few episodes were great. We had a Casey Pet Project. We had Best Friends. And we, we, we definitely jumped into a little bit of officer safety stuff. And this episode, we're, we're going to dive into that a little bit more. And I think before we get into that, I, I talked about some rescues that we haven't talked about on the show and I want to talk to you about a rescue that I had this past week. Okay. We get a call that a dog has its head stuck in the mechanical part of a reclining couch. <laughs> so for our, for you and our listeners, I'm going to try to paint this picture as best as I can. As you can imagine, a recliner has kind of a, a metal track system underneath the couch that allows the the legs to come up and or the back to go down and in that track system right there's a bunch of different mechanisms in there all pretty solid heavy duty metal and we get the call the caller reports that the dog's head is stuck in this mechanism and they can't get the dog's head out and I get there pretty quickly within 10 minutes. And, the, you know, the couch, you can see clearly where the dog is. It's probably a 
10 pound shih tzu poodle mix cute little thing named baby super cute super duper cute very nice but she's struggling like she's obviously stressed um you know her her breathing is is very it wasn't rapid it was i would say it was more in between i mean she was she wasn't panting but she was definitely nervous it was obviously a an un normal or unnatural setting for her so i get in there and i'm you know down on the ground flashlight just trying to see like can i move the the foot part of the recliner down a little bit and maybe push the head up and that'll open up enough space to slide the dog's head out because how did the dog's head get in there in the first place (laughs) that was my question (laughs) come to find out the one of the the home the homeowners was they were sitting on the couch in the recline position something spooked the dog and she ran under the couch and somehow popped her he- head in between the two like the track and like the the bar system that moves the recliner so if you can imagine kind of a v type shape that a dog stuck its head through and then imagine that v type shape slightly closing so now the head won't come backwards Sure. So every time you move the foot of the recliner or the head of the recliner, you would get a little bit of like motion. The problem is it would push you would you would either push like one way towards the front of the house or the the other way towards the back of the house. Mm-hmm. Nothing would would open up to release the dog. It was the I've never seen anything like it. And so you could get a, a nice little sweet spot to where it would like take some of the pressure off the neck. But you couldn't pull it back through. You couldn't put, you know, in many rescues that I've done, I've put, uh, I usually try to use like a Dawn dish soap or something like that, or sure. even some oil um, and lather it up and just slide the head out. You couldn't do that in this situation. It was too clamped down. Unbelievable. I, I, I didn't even have time to like take photos or anything like that. I should have. But in this case, I was just focused on the rescue. So we're moving it. We, we got the brilliant idea. Well, let's just flip the couch up to see if maybe we can work on the dog at a better angle. Well, what do you think happened there? Dog freaked out? No. The problem is, if you can imagine, you're lifting the couch up. Well, now you have to support the dog, right? Because otherwise the dog would just be hanging by its (laughs) neck stuck in this mechanism. And thankfully, we, you know, there was three people there. It was myself and then the two people in the home. And so we worked as a team. And and so we did, the two people that lived there lifted the couch. I maintained, you know, control of the dog's body. Again, it's like a 10 pound little dog. So it was pretty easy to like keep her even. I wanted to keep her even. So it wasn't like she was hanging in there. Well, the weight of the couch and, you know, lifting it was not a good idea at all. Uh, so what happened there is like now you had to like hold. So I'm holding the dog, then I have to shove my like shoulder underneath the footrest of the recliner to keep to find that sweet spot. Otherwise, it was pushing pressure on her on her neck. Right? Oh no! So I was like, you know what? Uh, I don't know. I, I got to the point where I was like, Frank Ten, that's my call sign. I was like, can you send fire uh, ASAP? So they, they got there within three minutes. Fire, they have all the tools, man. I don't care what you say <laughs> right. about fire. Those guys have all the tools. They might run code to any call ever. They might run code to a goose in the middle of the road. 
but they have all the tools, so I'm not going to knock them. Um, and what a collaboration. What a great, um, great team that showed up. I want to shout them out because they came in and, you know, they they basically just, uh, you know, came over to where I was, assessed the situation. I said, hey, this is what I'm seeing. I, I think if we cut here and here, it'll free the dog pretty quickly. And they looked around too and they, they agreed. They were like, yeah, that's probably the best bet. So that first they were like, hey, go get the Sawzall. And the one guy was like, okay. He came back with the Sawzall and they were like, mm, it's probably going to vibrate way too much on that. To, and it's going to freak the dog out. So we didn't, we ended up using the Jaws of Life and cutting two spots of the mechanical system underneath the couch, freeing the dog. And sure enough, she, uh, she was fine. I advised the owners to take her to the vet just to make sure, but bright alert responsive, no issues that I saw breathing. But at some point, like during that whole ordeal, which probably when I was there to when we freed her was about 15 minutes, I really thought that like she was choking out, like she was lifeless at one point. Um, And I, they, um, fire even put some oxygen on her while we were working on getting her out. So a great, great team effort, great collaboration. And I'm, you know, glad I can share a positive rescue with all the listeners and you. Absolutely. Um, can I share one that resulted in um, the medics showing up, but not for because of the animals? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I'm going to preface this with everybody ended up fine. Um, so I got a call for a cat that had jumped over a dryer and they didn't have the wall finished with drywall. So it was just kind of this open cavity that led to underneath the bathtub with all of the piping for the bathtub. And the ground was dirt. Well, this cat is easily like 15 to 18 pound cat. And he wedged himself in there. And in typical fashion of cat, every time you pull one way, they push back the opposite way. So I have a community service officer with me, which is typically their high school or college age students over the age of 18 um, that are potentially looking at going into law enforcement, but they do some... um, municipal citations and stuff for us sure so they get to work with me during the summer and when i heard this call i'm like yeah i'm gonna need somebody else (laughs) so we get there we move the dryer we're doing what we can to get this cat out and this cat is not budging so i call up uh one of the vet clinics i work closely with and i said hey if i come out there will you give me some sedative for this cat because clearly this cat isn't going to move without it and this is our best option short of actually taking all of the plumbing apart which i don't want to do i'm not certified in plumbing um and they're like yeah come on out and and get the sedative so i left the cso at the house to continue to try to dig around the dirt and stuff and get the cat out and he was making progress in moving the dirt um but the cat was still was pushing opposite of what we wanted it to. So I get back and I get under there. Um, now, you know, I'm a CVT as well. So 
you know, got my certifications to be able to do this. And, and for our listeners that may not know, that's a certified vet tech. Yes. Yes. Um, so I poke the cat and the cat kind of, twi- uh, you know, moves a little bit. And as soon as I push the medication, the cat backs itself out. Wasn't even like it needed to feel the pain of having the medication pushed for it to back out and it gets out. So I hand off my syringe to my uh, community service officer and I hand the cat over to the owner and I said, okay, now we had this agreement. You're going to go take the cat to the vet to make sure that it comes out of the anesthesia fine and all of this and make sure he's okay um, from being under here for it was probably an hour at this point because they had been trying to get this cat out. So the CSO had just put the syringes on the dryer and I go to put the cap on them because I have to transport, you know, these syringes now and I don't have a sharps container right there. And all of a sudden, as I'm putting the cap on, I see my CSO's face go blank. And his knees buckle and he falls backwards and hits his head on the dryer. And I had this like 10 seconds. Oh my of, goodness. <laughs> I had this 10 seconds of what the hell just happened? And, and as I am watching him, his head is now between the dryer and the wall. And he starts like twitching a little bit. And I'm like, oh my God, he's going to have a seizure. I need to get this dryer moved. So I'm trying to get this dryer moved. And all of a sudden he starts sitting up and he goes to stand up. And I said, no, 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 sit down. I'm trying to get on the radio. And I'm like, 575, I need a, a an ambulance to my location. My radio, because I cover two different or several different jurisdictions and yeah. my radio doesn't work in one of them very great on one station. Of course, that was the station I was on at the time. So it, they were getting bits and pieces and they're like, for what? And I'm trying to evaluate the situation at the same time as get the information to them. And I looked at the CSO and I'm like, what the hell happened? Like, are you okay? What's going on? And he's like, I don't like needles. I'm like, are you fucking <laughs> kidding me? You just passed out and hit your head because you don't like needles. This is not the job for you, dude. And that's such a great segue into what we're going to talk about here in a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, he did not live that one down, needless to say. No pun intended. Needless <laughs> to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. Is he working patrol now? What's he do? Uh, no, he is no longer with us as a CSO. Um, and I I think that ended up being a little bit more his decision, but I think he was definitely talked to about the fact like, Hey, as an officer, you're going to have to pick up needles and stuff. So you might even get poked by a needle. Exactly. So very nice kid in, he was good at his job otherwise, but, uh, yeah, that was that was definitely a story for the books. Well, speaking of just kind of the, the segue that we talked about and safety and, and kind of needles, I, 
I'd like for you to kind of share something that we saw on social media this week. Sure. Um, so there was a post out on one of the numerous Facebook groups that are out there for us um, about an ACO who was bit by a dog. Um, this person made the comment that they would rather risk death than get the post-exposure rabies vaccine because they've seen people with such bad reactions to the vaccine that it has made them uh, medically unable to perform their duties um, for their job. And I did a lot of research on that and looked reputable sources. I even found some scholarly medical articles and stuff. I personally cannot find a single side effect to the post-exposure rabies vaccine that would be worse than death. Um, For the most part, we're talking sore redness and swelling at the injection site, um, headache, nausea, abdominal pain, muscle aches or dizziness, um, maybe hives and pain in the joints or fever. But that's after the booster. None of those sound severe enough to me to risk death. And this person had explicitly said that they were not anti-vax, that they were not afraid of, like, the COVID vaccine, which the symptoms are significantly worse for especially the second vaccine. I, I wish I knew more about what the person who had this medical diagnosis of saying it was such a bad thing that they couldn't prefer, perform their job duties. Mm, yeah. Because there's nothing that I can find. Um, but are you pre-vaccinated? Yeah, and I haven't had a titer check in probably two years. I've had This is my second dose or no i shouldn't say that i've been vaccinated twice in my career in my first one i think i went four years with a good titer and i haven't had this one checked in a few years How wow. about you? um yeah i'm pre-vaccinated and i've never had to have a booster yet um my it, body it, metabolizes things really weird so uh, be that yeah well and it was it, simple for me. Um, when I got hired, I just I called up our medical facility around here and I said, okay, what would the post-exposure vaccine cost? And just Ooh. the first vaccine, the immune globulin, is seven to $10,000 Ooh. just for one of the series of five Unreal. um and so i went to my city and i said okay maybe you'll never have to maybe you will you won't know until it happens but you could pay this or you could get me pre-vaccinated and pay fifteen hundred dollars total for three vaccines and check my titer once a year and they're like yeah let's do that <laughs> that's a smart move that's a really smart move and and you know, we're, you talked offline before we even got on. I mean, 
we're exposed to so much, but like you think you have a bat hibernating in your house right now. And so who, yeah. better, who better to deal with that than somebody that's right. pre-vaccinated? But that, that's the truth is you just don't know. And here, as we listen or talk to people that are listening to the podcast, you're all over the place. There's people in regions of this country that have issues with rape, like real issues with rabies. In mm-hmm. Colorado, we're pretty lucky. We have it in some of our wildlife, but it's not really that common to see it cross over in our cats and dogs where other yep. other communities have that. And so just getting that, you know, ra- the rabies vaccine, I think has been around for almost a hundred years, if not longer. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one piece of our officer safety that I, I think I'd like to talk about a little more today. Absolutely. Well, you know, I have had... We've had bats and foxes in my city in my seven, almost eight years of doing this job in my city have tested positive for rabies. Um, About, I think it's probably an hour to the west of us, they had a litter of kittens that were feral kittens that tested positive for rabies. We still have it. Um, I was at one point in time, uh, I was picking up a stray kitten And it was probably about 12 weeks old or so. And the person, of course, comes out their door and just shoves this kitten in my hands. Like, I wasn't prepared for it. And so I've got this cat in my hands, and it clearly had a neurologic issue. While the neighbor's dog across the street barks, which scares the kitten. Kitten bites me. I end up dropping said kitten. I'm like, oh my God, I got to get this cat back before I have to go through the rabies vaccines because it had neurologic symptoms. Um, I did get the cat back and actually quarantine wasn't even a viable option. The kitten was nice enough, but because of the neurologic symptoms that it was exhibiting, we went ahead and sent it in for testing because there was no way to rule out rabies in that case. Sure. Uh, and you just never know in this industry you just never know what you're handed what you're dealing with what you're about to walk into how many times have you been bid on the job i know the one one time with the little crazy chihuahua and the family (laughs) like i know that call no dachshund dachshund that was the last thank you that was the last time i was bit and that was 2017 um so that dog I believe doing this job four or five times it, it for a while there it was like once a year and it was always they're always Good like job. okay <laughs> well they're always like well what could you have done different and i'm like no you don't understand like this cat was sick and before it scampered off i literally had nothing around me i had to it was one of those quick grab and yeah. put in a carrier well then it bit me while it was going in the carrier or the cat that was attacking the owner, my house of 54 cats in a mobile home, you know, they were all circumstances that if they weren't immediate, like I need to do something right now, I would have been able to prepare better, but it was always very unexpected. Well, I always hear these like shout out to all the, officers that have been doing this job 20 plus years and if you're listening to this podcast shout out for you to be able to use technology it's just a little (laughs) (laughs) just kidding why do i feel like that's a stab at ocho (laughs) oh if if he's even still listening i miss that guy 
Uh, in all fairness, though, shout, big shout out to you guys and gals. I really appreciate your work. But I always hear these these twenty plus, you know, thirty year veterans. They're like, "Yeah, I've never been bit." Like what? In thirty years, you've never been bit by anything. Like that's that blows my mind. And that's just that's you know an attestment to their skills and all their hard work that they put in. I've you know I've been in the industry, I guess, almost eleven years now. Yeah, no, what what year is this? Yeah, twenty one. Yeah, eleven years. Um, I've been bit twice and they're both, both were stupid mistakes. Like both animals were injured and, you know, I was just reacting quickly to try to help and they were both minor bites, but yeah, I've been bit twice and, you know, uh, thankfully there was no threat of rabies, but having that post exposure or pre-exposure vaccine is worth it in that case. So let's shift it up a little bit though, and talk about some of the, the PPE that we do have and, and kind of just set the scene. So I work for the Department of Public Health and Environment, and you work for a police department. Yep. And I would like to see kind of what are the differences in our jobs in some aspects from the safety standpoint and how similar they all may be. And so we'll start with, we'll just, let's just start with the vest. We both wear a vest. Yep. Got it. And then you have a duty belt. Yes. So what's on your duty belt? Um, I have a, I have a double handcuff case that carries my business cards and my dog treats. <laughs> um, okay. I have pepper spray and a flashlight, a baton, a carrier for rubber gloves, and my radio holster. Okay. So we're pretty similar. I did not, you don't have a taser. Is that by choice no. or department? Department. And what do you think the reasoning is for that one? Oh, I was told by one supervisor when I asked for chemical capture that I was never going to shoot anything ever, but. Oh, okay. There you go. That's pretty fair. <laughs> um, I, I, part of it, I also think, is the purchasing of the equipment. Okay. Um, because we're fairly limited on the amount of tasers we have now, even for our officers. Got it. Do you think tasers, would you, if they said you could have one, would you carry? Yes. If, if I was given the opportunity, yes, I would. Okay. I agree. Would I ever use it on an animal? Probably not. I don't think they're as effective on animals. So before I ask the next question, I'll just, my belt is similar. I had uh, OC spray, baton, radio, badge. That's on my duty belt. I don't think I have a flashlight. Those are all that's on my duty belt. I wear a vest just like you. I have a knife in my pocket. I used to carry a few knives, but I lost one of them and just haven't replaced it. So. Actually, I've got a uh, Gerber as well on my belt. Is that a baby? Isn't that like baby food? <laughs> no, it's a uh, like a Leatherman. I like those. Yeah, I, I, used, I actually, you know what? I, I take that back. I do have a Leatherman on my belt too. Good call. Good call. Uh, and so some of the, our listeners, I'm sure you have more stuff or less stuff. So if you want to share with us what you have on your belt, you know, shoot us a, a message on Facebook, Instagram. And uh, we'll maybe we'll make a post about it too, so you can leave some feedback there. So I would also i I would carry uh, a taser as well if 
if trained, I mean, we were both trained on how to use a baton and OC spray. You know, we went through a significant training. I've been through several trainings in my career on those things. And so same thing with uh, a taser is if I receive the proper training, I have no issue uh, carrying that. And I, I know this is probably a hot button issue. I feel we should be armed. Uh, what's your thought on that? I, I'm not opposed to it. Um, I know it, it's actually in my uh, state statute that I can't be. You cannot uh, be. Correct. Um, which I don't know if maybe that also has something to do with the use of a taser for me. I don't know if that's considered being armed or not. Um, but yeah, according to my state statute, I cannot be unless I'm a sworn officer, which my department has said I will never be. So if you look at this national push to have more officers wear a bulletproof vest, to me, that makes me feel that that risk or that threat is there. And so if I have a bulletproof vest, there's that potential that I'm going to come into contact with someone that may try to take my life, right? The job, sure, the job is dangerous, 100%. Is it as dangerous as a regular patrol officer or deputy? No, because we're not going to the same type of calls. Are we dealing with the same type of people? 100%. Are we dealing with people that may take their animals more serious or, or may feel like that impact on losing an animal is more you know, um, just fight or flight mode and, and they might take our life or try to a hundred percent. But statistically speaking, if you just look at stats, statistically speaking, a patrol officer is in a lot more dangerous situations with guns. Right. And mm -hmm. so maybe that's part of the motivation or reason behind us not having those. But I feel we deal with situations that just one time, if, you know, there was a, a situation that happened in Colorado several years ago where a deputy in the mountains was shot and killed on the highway. And it was a, a neighboring deputy to a jurisdiction that their chief was like, you know what, all of my, any of my uniformed officers are going through mandatory firearm training and I'm going to arm them. And they did. And so they, you know, I think they had to do 80 years or 80 years, woo, 80 hours uh, initially of firearm uh, retention and, and obviously testing. And, and then from there, they had to do like 40 hours each year uh, to, to qualify to continue to hold their firearm. And I just feel like, look, you know me, uh, you know my style and approach to this profession. I'm all about resource. I'm all about education. I'm all about enforcing only when we have to. I'm not really big on walking around with my chest out and trying to show that like I'm a power person or, you know. Hey, I'm Officer Ettinger. You're getting a ticket for your dog off leash. Like, that's not right. my style. My style is like, hey, man, how's it going? I'm Daniel with Animal Protection. What's going on? How you doing today? And so by having that firearm, uh, the only true reason is like, what if I'm in that situation where someone shoots me? Sure, I can get on the radio and just say Frank 10 has been shot, but it's still going <laughs> to take a few minutes for backup right. to get there. And my OC spray at that point is not going to do much, right? My baton's yeah. probably not going to do much. And so, sure, I have that vest to protect me. Um, but at the same time, if I'm shot, like... There's also, plenty, late. there's also plenty of critical areas that can be hit beyond the vest. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, 
I don't know. Like I obviously I'm going to still do the job no matter what. I love this profession. I just think as maybe time goes on, 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, we may see more officers that are armed. Like that might happen. I know certain humane officers that are sworn in their in their states uh, have that arresting powers and have the ability to carry a firearm or some have firearms like rifles in their vehicle to mainly dispatch animals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I just think that as we continue to grow, as this profession continues to evolve from an efficiency standpoint, why don't we have all of that? Like, why can't we make the arrests when, when necessary? Right. And why can't, uh, you know, we protect ourselves to the fullest when necessary. And I think a lot of it stems from this profession was always just the dog catcher. And so why the heck like this, think about it from like a upper like city government position. Like why the heck did the dog catcher need a a damn firearm for? He just out there catching dogs. Right. I don't know if that's what your city leaders sound like, but in my mind, (laughs) what I envision. Maybe not city leaders, but I could see some of my upper management still. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and that's where I'm at on it. Like, I think a lot of our listeners, if you're, if you're listening to this and like, yeah, I don't think we ever need a firearm. Let us know. Like, that, I, that'd be really good feedback. I really want to hear what other people have to say. You know, we just had some great episodes, the last two episodes about just what officers wear in the field and, and vests and stuff like that. And so now it's a, a chance for us to hear your feedback on what do you want on your belt? Do you want the ability to, to arrest people? Do you want to have a firearm, you know, and do you want a taser, those type of things, or do you feel safe with what you have now? Well, and you know, kind of to bring this full circle, there was at one point in time in, um, uh, in Missouri, a humane officer, animal control officer, whatever, um memorial for those who lost their lives in the line of duty mm-hmm. it's gone now nobody knows what happened to it um we could ask uh we can ask naca next time they're on they that used to be a naca thing and i think whenever everything went wherever it went naca decided to not okay because i know john yeah. mays was yeah. the one that was like i have no idea what happened to it but the the fact of the matter is is we had it out there for a reason because this isn't a completely safe job. Now, do you have any, um, hand to hand training? So we, we've done baton training. We've never done any sort of like, I take that back with, with some of our baton training, we've done some Krav, like a little bit of Krav, uh, Krav Maga. I would love to see us do that more, even like quarterly, just get, get in a room. Because t- I'm telling you, wouldn't you want to beat up some of your coworkers <laughs> every once so, in a while? Funny story about that. This year was the first, this last year was the first year that I actually had the opportunity to do it. Um, and I, cause I finally said to my boss, I said, well, why do our community service officers who are here only during the summertime and are less out there i mean they're only there during the summertime they're not necessarily going into these houses so why are they getting this we call it dat training i don't remember what it stands for um but i've been here for seven years and still haven't had it and so she let me and our parking specialist join in 
um, for this DAT training. And one of the things that they did was bullpen where they had, you were in the middle and then everybody was standing around with mats after we learned our punches and knees and kicks and whatever. And one person would come up and they'd push you with the mat and then give you an instruction, whether it was punches or, or whatever. And this one guy, every time I got pushed, I got more and more angry. And this one kid, he had already pissed me off because I had given him a call after being told by my boss, like, yeah, you can pass this off to him because I was busy with other stuff. And he looked at me and said, well, why were you, what were you doing all day that you couldn't take this? Which pissed me off beyond belief. So when we had this opportunity, I almost missed the mat the first punch I threw at him. (laughs) (laughs) but uh that was first time in seven years that i had had that wow yeah i think we should do it regularly even if you do it on your own time you know you join the gym or you join some sort of just self-defense training you know i think that's that's important or keeping up on that you know i I like to stay physically active I, i run quite a quite a bit so you know, my stamina, and that's the biggest thing we teach or is taught in any sort of combat is your stamina. Like, can you even last 30 seconds, right? right. Where's your breath at? Know what your breath is and like what you're capable of. And, and that's, that's just it. Once you start, you know, <sighs> you're done, dude. I, I have you where I want you. You know, I'll, I'll rock you Balboa right. your ass for a little bit and just get beaten on. Um, and then once you're tired out, I'll take over. You know, that's kind of how I look at yeah. it. So you know, know your, know what you're capable of and stay fit. You know, we, we should do an episode coming up about physical fitness and eating well. And and because we're out there, you know, we're an active position. And if we are able to to maintain that uh, a a good fitness level, then from there, you know, we should be able to, we should be able to, you know, keep ourselves safe regardless of, you know, a lot of different factors now you're not going to outrun a bullet, but uh, at the same time, you know, you'll be in situations where if you're ever in hand-to-hand combat, you'll be, you'll be set. So, you know, it's, it's tough that we even have to talk about it. You know, it sucks that officers have lost their lives on this, on this job. And, you know, whether it be, whether it be from a bullet, which, you know, unfortunately a few have done, have lost their lives that way. And, you know, we just, we just want to make sure people are maintaining their safety. So. You got anything else on that topic, Bishop? I don't think so. I think we covered it all pretty well. Cool. Well, the next few weeks are going to be kind of fun or really fun. Not even kind of fun. It's going to be super fun, yo. So next next week, next episode, please tune into that. It's going to be the ASPCA talking about their new forensic laboratory in Gainesville, I believe, Florida. And we're we're going to find out everything we can to see if that and how that is available to our listeners that don't even live in Florida and and how you can get animals there. Maybe you can send radiographs there and you can get some forensic analysis that way. I'm really, really excited about that. Investigations are kind of my bread and butter. I really love doing them and having resources like this forensic laboratory. I wish it was here in Colorado so I could drive animals there, but we're going to find out how they can help us nationwide, not just locally to Florida. Awesome. I'm excited for that. And then the following week, we have the, we have Code 3. They're going to join us to talk about their new uh, coalition that they have. And I know there's a lot of talk about the grants that they're giving out for Bulletproof Vests. 
and some training that they're going to start up here, certifications that they're doing. So please check in in a few weeks for that one as well. So you won't want to miss 60, episode 69 and 70, right around the corner. Where's the year going already? <laughs> I don't know. It's cold, though. It's on ice right here in Colorado. It sure it's on ice up there as well. It is yeah. effing cold. I'm pretty sure I could go outside, crack an egg, and it would immediately freeze. You know what I might do is boil some water and throw it out there in the air and see if it does that cool. Make sure can. that make sure that you don't accidentally throw it into your face. I've seen people do that. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, you, can't, you can't stop stupid. Exactly. If we could stop stupid, we'd be out of jobs. Facts. Facts. Well, thanks again for listening to episode six, eight. Uh, that's in the books. Check us out again, Instagram, Facebook, thehumaneroundup.com, all those fun places. And we look forward to seeing everybody next week. See you guys later. Hopefully it'll be warmer. Yeah, it's going to be in the 50s next time we record. So I'm looking forward to that. I might be outside shut with up. my sandals on. It's not going to be that warm here. So you just shut up. Okay. Well, <laughs> Hey, you just keep it humane, man. <laughs> Later. Later. Thank Bye, you Craig. for listening to the Humane Roundup podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to get in touch with us? Visit humaneroundup.com. Email us at humaneroundup at gmail.com. Text us or leave us a voicemail at 916-241-3464 or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Humane Roundup.